Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. It's a Tuesday. Great to be with you, Teresa Tamio. A big thank you to Vanessa Denhagarmo, host of Epiphany, one of our Ave Maria radio shows. Great program. If you haven't heard it yet, tune in at noon at AveMariaRadio.net. Vanessa filled in for me yesterday. She'll be filling in for me Friday. I'm on a combination work vacation trip. Deacon Dom and I are back over in Italy preparing for two pilgrimages coming up in October and November, but we're also wrapping up a celebration of our 40th anniversary. So Vanessa is helping me out with the show this week and then back to business, regular business as usual on Monday, God willing, September 25th. As far as our show for today is concerned, I think you're going to enjoy an interview with Gary Mashuda. He is actually from my area in southeastern Michigan. He's a wonderful Catholic apologist, and his latest book is entitled The Gospel Truth, How We Can Know What Christ Taught. It's an excellent book, but it's very readable. Gary is a brilliant apologist, but he brings us down to a level we can all understand, and he talks about how reliable how reliable the church has been in handing us the scriptures and what we know about how the Bible was put together. So it's a very, very well-documented book, and I think you'll enjoy it. Also revisiting an interview with Brian Birch of Catholic Vote on the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act. So that is our show for a Tuesday morning. Weather-wise, we're looking at scattered and severe thunderstorms possible today and tonight. This is across portions of the southern Great Plains, large to very large hail, and excessive rainfall could lead to areas of flash flooding and some severe wind gusts are the primary concerns and hazards that could occur. Hope you're having a great day right now, a few minutes past the hour on a Tuesday, and we need to check the news. So we'll do that ASAP. Recalling his upcoming apostolic visit to Marseille, France, this coming Friday, the Holy Father offering his closeness to the war-torn people of Ukraine and to all people in lands torn by war. The Holy Father's remarks came during his Sunday Angelus this weekend, addressed to the faithful in St. Peter's Square. Pope Francis making the two-day visit to the southern French city of Marseille on Friday and Saturday to close the Mediterranean meetings, which is a gathering of bishops and young people from across the Mediterranean, which is taking place September 17th through the 24th. The Holy Father praising the upcoming visit as an opportunity to promote fraternity through the meetings, which will gather representatives from the region. The event for the Pope will mark his 44th apostolic journey abroad after having made an apostolic visit to Mongolia earlier this month. From California, a person now under arrest in connection with the ambush murder of a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy in his patrol car. L.A. County Sheriff Robert Luna said Kevin Salazar was taken into custody just 36 hours after the killing of Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer in the city of Palmdale, California. Luna also saying a search warrant was served at the home of Salazar and he was arrested after a barricaded situation and a tear gas deployment. It's not known yet if the 30-year-old Klinkenbrumer was targeted or if it was just killed because he was in a law enforcement vehicle and was a police officer. 
In other news this morning, Congress is staring down a spending deadline at the end of the month with fears of a government shutdown if a deal cannot be reached. Members of the Freedom Caucus are trying to gain support for a short-term extension that comes with some tough amendments. $2 trillion of deficit spending when your $32 trillion of debt is completely unsustainable and it's not something that we can continue. That's Republican Chip Roy speaking at Pray Vote Stand Summit saying a shutdown is likely inevitable. He blames the Senate, whose version of the spending bill, he says, includes $8 billion in additional funding for defense and nearly $6 billion more for non-defense emergency spending. And there is growing talk about another try for bipartisan immigration reform. Senator John Cornyn of Texas says it cannot be a rehash of the so-called Gang of Eight bill that expanded visas and included a path to citizenship. I can't even remember when the Gang of Eight bill was on the floor. Was that 2016? 13? Oh, 10 years ago, before the Biden border crisis. And since President Biden took office, five and a half million people have come across the border illegally. That's bigger than the state of South Carolina, and it's been years since a bipartisan effort was made to bring about reforms to immigration policy. The mayors of all 18 cities in San Diego County in California, by the way, have asked the governor to declare an emergency at the border because, as Jack Cronin says, of the ongoing Mexican sewage issue. The mayors joined the county at Imperial Beach in calling for the declaration asking the governor to make the request to the federal government to speed up the response to the issue. The Union Tribune says Governor Newsom vetoed $50 million in state funding in this year's budget and has so far not made the emergency declaration, though he did ask the federal government to release the $300 million already allocated to the crisis, which the White House agreed to earlier this month. If issued an emergency declaration from the governor, it would request the ability to speed up construction bids and repair projects along the border. I'm Jack Cronin. And the United Auto Workers Union, as Aaron Rial explains, the president of that union, now deploying an interesting strike strategy aimed at garnering the most leverage, he says, over the big three automakers. Last Friday, 13,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union walked off the job at General Motors in Missouri, a Stellantis Center in Ohio, and a Ford assembly plant in Michigan. The strike, which targets three assembly plants in three different states, was the first time the 88-year-old union had staged simultaneous walkouts at all three automakers. Sean Fain, UAW president, has threatened walkouts at additional plants that could come, and with little notice, the longer the negotiations drag on. The unusual deployment of a rolling, slow-burn approach is designed to stymie the car company's operation as a way to gain leverage for the union. And the strike by the UAW against Detroit's automakers could have an economic impact in Michigan. Grand Valley State University economist Paul Isley says auto suppliers in the area might have to lay off workers or actually close down. As they're laid off, they're going to be buying less haircuts, less food, less TVs, and that affects everybody else. So it bleeds out into the economy. He says the economy could take a $150 million weekly hit if the strike goes past just two weeks. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton will remain in office. This judgment will be filed with the Secretary of State and Attorney General Warren Kenneth Paxton Jr. is hereby, at this moment, reinstated to office. That was Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick speaking over the weekend, state senators voting on 16 articles of impeachment after ending their deliberations. The senators acquitted the attorney general of all counts. Paxson needed to be convicted on only one of the articles to be automatically removed from office. He was accused of abusing the power of his office to help a political donor. He still faces criminal charges of securities fraud. A date for that trial has not been set. Michael Kastner tells us the U.S. is swapping money and prisoners for five Americans detained in Iran. 
The deal, expected to be completed today, would give Tehran access to $6 billion of its own oil revenue the U.S. had frozen through sanctions. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby has defended the arrangement, stressing that there will be rigid restrictions on Iran's ability to use the money. Republicans have accused President Biden of paying ransom to a known state sponsor of terrorism. Meanwhile, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell is criticizing that deal that freed five Americans. Tehran continues to accelerate its enrichment of weapons-grade uranium and stonewall international inspectors seeking the truth about Iran's weaponization work. The U.S. agreed to give Tehran access to $6 billion in assets that were frozen through sanctions. McConnell said the deal is the latest example of Joe Biden's rewarding and incentivizing Iran's bad behavior. The administration is defending the arrangement, stressing that there will be rigid restrictions on the country's ability to use that funding. And authorities are seizing a piece of artwork currently displayed at a Pittsburgh museum because it may have been stolen during the Holocaust. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office has issued a warrant for a drawing entitled Portrait of a Man, a work featured at the Carnegie Museum of Art that is valued at a million dollars. Investigators believe that piece once belonged to Jewish art collector Fritz Grunbaum, who was killed during the Holocaust back in 1941. Two other works that are believed to have been stolen from him are being seized from the Art Institute of Chicago and from Oberlin College in Ohio. Operators of the Carnegie Museum say they are fully cooperating now with officials. And the founder of Rolling Stone apologizing for making controversial comments, as Trey Thomas explains, about African-Americans and female musicians as well. During a recent interview with the New York Times, Jan Winter said black and female artists weren't articulate enough on an intellectual level to be featured in his upcoming book, The Masters. In a statement, Winter apologized for diminishing the contributions, genius, and impact of black and women artists with his badly chosen words. He's also been removed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame board. Hope you're having a great Tuesday morning. Thanks for listening to Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. More to come after these messages, as we say in radio. Stay tuned. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. And we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger. See, in a day and age where people are getting further away from God, you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. Do you remember what our Lord said one day? Why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's Choice in Senior Home Care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmitz, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmitz comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. 
This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. From the archives, this this is the wisdom of Mother Angelica. Are you and I a friend of Jesus? That's the important one. He will never let you down. He will always be forgiving and merciful and compassionate. You can't say that of any friend. So I have a wonderful friend and we've been friends for 40 years. Wonderful. I think that's a big grace. Scripture says, if you have found such a one, praise God. But ordinarily, you can't say that you would tell your very heart to this one or that one. To some, it would be like putting it in a newspaper. Be all over town, half hour. Where you wouldn't talk to a friend like that. But with Jesus, you can talk to any friend. You can talk to him as the best of friends. For more about Mother Angelica, visit EWTNRC.com. It's an honor to know and actually live so close to Gary Mashuda. He's a fellow Michigander and a Metro Detroiter and does a lot in the area with apologetics as well. And he's just a terrific resource. And we always like to go to him for all issues of apologetics. He does great work with a number of different agencies, including, of course, our wonderful Catholic Answers program and also just a number of books. And as I mentioned, speaking all over the country and especially in his home state of Michigan. And now he has a brand new book out, which is really exciting. And Gary, you know, this is something that is so important right now. The title of the book is A Gospel Truth. And boy, oh boy, we have a lack of truth out there. And I keep going back to that original question, speaking of truth, of Pontius Pilate talking to the Lord, looking right at the truth of the capital T and asking what is truth. So what prompted you to put this latest book together in terms of what the church has done with guaranteeing the insurance that what Jesus taught and did was accurately retained? Good morning. Morning. You know, we're at the point in society where a lot of people don't even know about Jesus. They've heard the name, and so they don't really see why he's important. So I, I, I thought there's a lot of great books out there that vindicate the Gospels, the truthfulness of them, uh, the, how we know our text is identical to the original, and, and things like that. But uh, I, I needed to, I, I noticed that a lot of them were evangelicals, and they, they had some blind spots because of that. They don't really take the early church seriously. So I, I wanted to write a book first to pique a person's interest that there is something different about this Jesus of Nazareth that shaped human history for the past 2,000 years. And then uh, look at the Gospels and kind of do a little detective, you know, uh, mm-hmm. detective work, looking at the page and, and showing that, you know what, there was a concerted effort on the part of the evangelist to accurately write down everything Jesus said and did and that there's ways in which we can know that the Gospels are giving us a truthful uh, recounting, not fabricating or making a hoax or anything like that. So what resources did you seek out? Were these new resources? Did you or just use the same resources and maybe dig a little bit deeper or differently? 
Yeah, um, well, that's a great question because some of the stuff is kind of flyover country. Uh, most of the things I have in my book isn't controversial in the scholarly realm, but it's kind of either forgotten or the import of it really hasn't been mined. You know, mm-hmm. so I like, for example, I, I look at the Gospels, and if you're a Greek reader, the, the earliest manuscripts we have are in Greek. If you're a Greek reader, you'll notice that there are strange parts in the Gospels where they seem to be speaking Hebrew or Aramaic in, in Greek. And uh, that's because there is an underlying uh, either Hebrew or Aramaic source that's being copied. So uh, in my book, I, I point out some of these things, and what I show is that. If you look closely at that, you see there are, there's a a way in which there's it's encoded for memory's sake. You know, there's ways in which we could recall things word for word, like uh, lyrics for a song or a nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. And you could do that for decades later. Well, the same kind of memory things are, are buried either in the Greek or they're hidden under the Greek, which is really weird because... If you're fabricating a hoax, why would you hide, you know, right. uh, something that you're you're trying to establish? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. So why do you think, for example, you said something interesting in in the in the first response to the at the beginning of the interview that the evangelicals uh, don't look too much or take too much seriously the early church? How is that possible? Because don't you want to go back as a reporter? I would always go back to the original sources of something. Yeah, well, part of that is sacred tradition. Uh, That's a red line, because Protestantism can't afford to give sacred tradition uh, uh, a valid place, right? Because if they do, they become Catholics. Uh, They go by scripture alone. So when they're trying to vindicate the scripture alone, that's difficult because when you ask questions like, well, how do we know the Gospels told the truth, that they didn't lie or embellish? The only way you really know that is if there is the early church who verified these things. But once you start looking outside of Scripture to the early church to verify these things, you're coming dangerously close to affirming sacred tradition. So evangelical sources uh, will uh, flirt with that as much as they, they have to, but they really don't give the early church all its full credit. And in my book... That's exactly what I do. So I show if you give the church, you know, as believe it as a real historic entity, entity that persists through history, that you can not only answer questions like, are the Gospels true, but how do we know what the proper interpretation of Scripture is? How do we know which books belong in Scripture? You know, all these other questions are very easily answered uh, if you take the early church seriously. So I think evangelical approach is very thin. And I think a lot of non-believers rightly aren't very persuaded by them. Hmm. Talking with author and speaker and apologist Gary Mashuda, he's the author most recently before this book, currently The Gospel of Truth, Revolt Against Reality, Fighting the Enemies of Sanity and Truth from the Serpent to the State. So now you're kind of going back to another scriptural or more of an apologetics. I know you always have apologetics in your work, but why the shift now, Gary, back to something like this? I mean, I would imagine, looking at the craziness of the world and all the confusion out there, that in another way this is similar to revolt against reality because we are taking, in many ways, not in the church, but out there in the world, people take Jesus and make him into something he isn't to fit in their particular you know, line of belief or agenda. Yeah, it's... 
Uh, yeah. Actually, I wrote the manuscript for both books almost at the same time. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, like, you're, like you said, the first one's like a much more larger historical project. This one, I, I, I think, you know, there are people out there that are open to uh, Christ. You know, they're open to the gospel message, but they don't really see how you connect the dots. How do you connect Jesus to today? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so I wanted to write a book to do that. In fact, the book was originally titled "Message Received," but Scott Hahn said, "You know, the gospel truth is better," so I, yeah. I opted for his suggestion. Yeah, but it's like you, we have to connect that dot that Jesus. We can know truth about Jesus because we have His Church. Absolutely, and I love the fact you've got so many great endorsements, including our very own Al Cresta, president and CEO and host of Ave, CEO of Ave Maria Radio and host of Cresta in the Afternoon. Gary Mashuda, he says, will shame those who dismiss the Gospels as pious opinions unconcerned with historical reliability or eyewitness testimony. With great precision, he demonstrates how Jesus utilized time-tested techniques to ensure that his disciples would have accurate recall of his teaching formatted for reliable transmission. That is such an Al quote. That sounds so much <laughs> sounds so much <laughs> like does. Al. Yeah, right? Very specific and, and really talking about, about the history in the church. So if someone hears this, the gospel truth, it has kind of a dual meaning, does it not? In terms of the truth of the gospels, in terms of their accuracy, but also in the truth of them being reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's, uh, you know, that's where it pairs with my other book, too, like you said. Uh, uh, Christianity has been reduced down to an idea. And, you know, if it's an idea, then it competes with other ideas. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus had changed the course of human history. He's brought about the foundations of Western civilization, not to mention raised us to, you know, levels that unaided humanity could never reach. And so, you know, that that importance of, well, how did this come about? And how do we know, you know, what exactly he said and and did, uh, I think really comes to the forefront. That's why I wrote the book. The book is a gospel truth, how we can know what Christ taught, published by our friends at Emmaus Press. So does it, I'm sure it does as it does me when I do research on the church, it does me in my heart such good to think about how the church preserved our faith over the centuries and the fact that, as it says in Ecclesiastes, nothing new under the sun in terms of many of the issues that we were dealing with back in the Lord's Day or back in the early church, they may appear differently and there may be extremes out there, but we're still dealing with a lot of the same in terms of where people are belief-wise, are we not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, uh, these ancient heresies, they never die. They're like zombies. You know, (laughs) we think they're dead, but they're still walking the earth. Uh, Yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, vindicating the Gospels was part of the project of the early church, you know, uh, mm-hmm. St. Irenaeus of Lyon in their late uh, second Christian century when he was going against the Gnostics who claimed that they had secret knowledge that Jesus gave to, uh, you know, the knowing ones. Uh, what did he do? He appealed to the church. He appealed to the faith that was, you know, spread throughout the world and was unified as one as a way to destroy this heresy. And, uh, you know, we can take those same weapons and use them for their modern counterparts. 
In terms of writing this and the style, you have a very, I think, even though you're, you're very, obviously very intelligent and brilliant in terms of apologetics, you have, a, I think, a good way of, of appealing to just the average person. People shouldn't be intimidated by this, right? Why should the average person, you know, a Catholic saying, well, you know, I don't have a degree and, and I haven't studied apologetics or I haven't looked at the history of the church. I just love the Lord and the faith and I'm, I'm trying to be a good Catholic. And they may think, gosh, this is too much over my head. So for whom did you write this, Gary? Yeah, I, I wrote it for the non-believer. I wrote it for a Catholic who's maybe interested in Scripture. I wrote it for people who are having questions. And you don't, I mean, I do get into some technical things, but overall, it's all down to common sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I want somebody to be like, uh, you know, a detective who's looking at these documents and, you know, and saying, huh, that's very interesting. I wonder why they zigged when they should have zagged. Zagged, you know? yeah. yeah. Before we, we take a break, uh, tell our listeners, uh, because the people are very familiar with your work, especially in the area of apologetics, how you got interested in this topic of apologetics in the first place. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, I ran into uh, a fundamentalist uh, lady when I got my first full-time job out of college, and she started challenging me on my faith. And um, I started digging into it, and... Um, you know, it, I I tell people that our Lord hit me with over the head with a spiritual two by four. Mm. You know, it's like suddenly I real I realized the truth of the faith, the truth about His real presence in the Eucharist, and that just changed my whole world around. And suddenly wow. I didn't care about my career; I just wanted to help other people. You know, learn about the faith and clear up all these misunderstandings. Yeah, and how long have you been at it now, Gary? It's been what. 20 plus years hasn't it yeah early yeah. 1990s wow wow well i'm excited about this book i'm going to review some of the chapters when we come back because it's really important but you can go to either the ew cham religious catalog or the ave maria radio.net bookstore or of course our friends at st paul center for biblical theology and they are of course the owners and workers with emmaus press and you can find it there the gospel truth how can we know what christ taught latest book from our friend gary mashuda more with Gary when we come back. Hello, my name is Francesca. Hello, my name is Liliana. And we're missing it too. And Teresa. Grab a copy of this book, The Gospel Truth, published by Emmaus Press, of course, St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, the author, Gary Mashuda. So, Gary, I'm really intrigued by this book, and I love chapter titles, creative ones, as a fellow author. So I just want to read the first three chapter titles. Number one, Something Happened. Ooh, that sounds very mysterious and interesting. What was passed on, chapter two and three. I love this. That's not Greek to me. So let's start with Something Happened. Obviously, you're talking about something happening being Jesus Christ coming into the world, the incarnation. I'm thinking that's it. I haven't finished oh, yeah. the book yet, but I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the first thing is to get people to say, huh, you know, th- that's very strange. Like, So what I do is I begin by showing this that there was this mysterious prophecy that was circulating in the first century that both pagans and Jews recognized that there would be this ruler who would come out of Judea who would be the the governor of the inhabitable earth you know a worldwide dominion would come out of judea 
And uh, the the Jews understood that to be the Messiah would appear in the first century. And in the New Testament, that's what we find. We find all these uh, false messiahs popping up and so on. And and the pagans also, uh, they knew about this prophecy and they thought it was uh, speaking about the emperor uh, Vespasian or Titus. But, you know, all of those people are gone. And uh, most people never even heard of Vespasian or Titus or the Roman Empire for that matter. So what was the deal that caused this giant revolt? And uh, there is one rabbi who was teaching in the first century who's still around today. And lo and behold, uh, he has followers all over the world, you know, over a billion of them. So that, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. So who is this Jesus of Nazareth that, you know, fulfills this prophecy and um, revolutionizes the world? What I think is super important, and Deacon Tom and I just over the week, he gave a powerful a retreat. It was powerful for us because of the, the people to whom we spoke. Because we, you get, you know, you know this as a speaker, you get as much as, as you give from the people to whom uh, you're presenting. But it was just a, a really great experience to be with the deacons and their wives. And the whole theme was based on reflecting and looking back and remembering and not remembering in a negative sense of, oh you know the, the world was much better then and life was so much better and you know we're, we're, the world's a mess but remembering our journey remembering our, our personal journey to the diaconate but also the journey in marriage most importantly because that vocation would always obviously come first but this is a kind of a remembering or reflecting and looking at the marvel of God as the Pope talked about yesterday at the audience right in terms of going back and looking at how the truth was protected over the years and confirmed yeah, absolutely. You know, we can't see God's hand, you know, in the here and now. It's very difficult to see how he's going to work in the future, but we can see it crystal clear in the past, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's why scripture is what it is. It's sacred history because the, the writers look back in the past and they say, wow, you know, this is where God is working. It's, it's crystal clear that he's led us to this point. And yeah, I yeah. totally agree with you. I mean, uh reflection and uh that's really where i think you know you really see god's hand at work Hmm. and chapter two what was passed on that that really is the ultimate question which is summarizing your book yeah yeah jesus uh if he truly is the son of god would have made assurances that what he said and did uh would be passed on and so he entered the jewish race which already had a kind of mechanism for passing on large amounts of information accurately from generation to generation that's through a rabbi disciple relationship so in that chapter what i do is i take a look at okay what was this rabbi disciple relationship and then i show that jesus actually supersedes that two or three times (laughs) what was there so uh yeah that's a really cool chapter did you find anything that surprised you because you've done a lot of research on this topic you know every book surprises me that's I I think the reason I write books is because I'm afraid I'm going to forget all this stuff, so I mm. need to put it in order. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I totally relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and then, then you look back at the project, and it's like, wow, I didn't realize these pe- uh, puzzle pieces fit together like they do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, there was all sorts of uh, new discoveries in the book. You know, it's, it's so, to me, it's like, a, and Steve Wright, and our mutual friend from Michigan, Mm-hmm. talks about this that this is like swimming i think he decides it that, that calls it this this deep deep well that you could never where you never hit the bottom in terms of being in the church because there's so much 
to dive into, to discover, to rediscover, learning something new. And for example, when we were at, at Mass yesterday, and a wonderful uh, priest from the retreat center, and he was talking about the Greek translations of what Jesus was explaining in the Gospels. And I had heard that gospel how many times? You know, now that I'm in my 60s, right? How many times have we heard the scriptures? And yet it was all, it wasn't Greek to me. It was, it was new in sense of this is something new that I'm learning. And he made it even more clear in terms of the beauty of what Jesus is trying to say. So you can always learn something new from the scriptures. Not that make, you're changing the interpretation of it, but you're seeing it more deeply or maybe differently. Do you find that to be true? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh you know, that was one of those discoveries. What I realized is that when I was reading Scripture, hearing Scripture all these years, I just thought that they spoke things. It was kind of like Bibleese. Well, that's how yeah. they spoke back in the first century. But what I realized is that those are actually, uh, it's a kind of formatting for memory recall. Mm. And so the, the the kind of odd turns of phrases or, or the very stylistic way Jesus seems to speak, you know, there's a purpose behind it. And, uh, yeah, Scripture's amazing. And, unfortunately, uh, we're missing so much. Even us who dive into the the Word, you know, daily, uh, we're just... That we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with author and apologist and speaker Gary Mashuda, his latest book, this one from Emmaus Press, The Gospel Truth, How Can We Know What Christ Taught? I think we are doing uh, a lot better, though, in terms of, for example, while publishing companies like Emmaus Road and Sophia and E.W. Chan and Ignatius and Ascension and so many other great Catholic publishers who are really giving us so much volume in terms of ways, different ways to study Scripture. So how would you tell people, Gary, this summer, if they want to take this book and maybe take it on vacation how should they read this book should they sit down with the bible or just take it chapter by chapter what do you think yeah i would just take it chapter by chapter you know uh, i tried to <laughs> i don't know how many books i've written but i i think i finally got to the point where i could do little cliffhangers at the end of <laughs> each chapter but uh yeah stay just, tuned as we say in broadcasting right that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. you got you got to hold on so yeah. um yeah i i would just you, you don't even need the bible you could just read it i, I have all the quotes there and like I said, it's more of a detective story, you know, mm. uh, uncovering these very, really cool things that you probably read a million times and never yeah. saw before. That's fascinating. And again, you look at what's happened over 2,000 years and the fact that the church is still the church is a church and that we're here 2,000 plus years later, you just know that, that God was involved and in the heart of this uh, from the very beginning. I mean, on this rock you shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So how's the book doing so far? I know it's brand new, hot off the presses. Uh, you know, that's how uh, publishers don't always give you. I know. They don't give us the update. Give us the update. We want to know. We want to know. I, I've been getting lots of positive responses. Good. Um, Good. And uh, doing a lot of interviews. So yeah. thanks be to God. Well, that's great. And you're you're a great guest. And, of course, I'm a little bit biased because you're a film Michigander. But you've done so much in the area of apologetics. And your ministry has just exploded. And we appreciate it. And we need it. Gary Mashuda. His latest book, The Gospel Truth, How Can We Know What Christ Taught? Get a copy of it. You can find it at a number of locations. AveMariaRadio.net has it at our bookstore. You can find it at the Religious Catalog. And, of course, the St. Ball Center for Biblical Theology, Emmaus Road, Emmaus Press. Just check it out. The Emmaus Academy has wonderful programs as well.
Speaking of speaking out, speaking up, making a difference, and being not afraid, someone who knows all about that is our next guest, Brian Birch, president of Catholic Vote. And they've been doing a great job of getting the word out about a story involving the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And Brian, our tax dollars at work in a bad way, unfortunately, yet again. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So tell us the latest with the EEOC and what we need to do about it. Yeah, well, thanks, and appreciate you having me on on this, because it can be a little bit confusing when you right. start throwing around a lot of government acronyms like EEOC. Uh, the real history here is we're talking about a new law that was passed last year called the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, which, like all legislation, has a nice-sounding name, who can be against you know, protecting pregnant workers. And, in fact, uh, our organization, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and many others have been pushing legislation like this for many years. Now, of course, you have to remember what was happening at the end of last year when this happened. We had just had the Dobbs decision. Uh, There was a big backlash. Uh, Pro-abortion groups wanted to try to find new ways to um, get abortion, uh, make abortion available to women. And so what this act purported to do in the language of it was to provide, quote, reasonable accommodations for known limitations related to pregnancy, childbirth, and here's the key phrase, related medical conditions. And so on its face, it did things like a woman is working, has a job, she becomes pregnant, she normally lifts heavy boxes, but while she's pregnant, the employer has to um, give her a way uh, to do something else. Maybe she can work the cashier uh, job while she's pregnant. All actually very good things, and we believe that the law actually could do a lot of good, that corporations, and I think many of them already do just naturally, but they should they should be required to accommodate pregnant women. Um, we should be a culture that affirms and holds and esteems pregnant women. Yeah. The challenge, of course, here is this language around uh, related medical conditions. And the debate surged late into the last year over whether we needed to define that and also whether or not if that um, ultimately included abortion, whether or not there should be specific protections for religious employers. Mm-hmm. Now, you can imagine how this went, all the talk, well, there's no problem here, don't worry, Teresa, we will never use this to fund abortion. Yeah, never. Right. Uh-huh. Senator Bob Casey, on the floor of the Senate, a Democrat, Catholic, said explicitly, they could never, ever do this. Well, the, um, we cautioned, we said, uh, the bill should not be supported until these protections are put in place. Right, right. Groups like the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, others, they supported it. And our Catholic Bishops Conference supported it. And, and again, this was a prudential call. They thought it would do a lot of good for pregnant mothers. We said, wait, wait, it needs to be mm-hmm. further defined. Well, here we are this year. Uh, the law delegated to the EEOC, which is the uh, Equal Employment, or the um, office that... Um, uh, uh, regulates employment discrimination, and they have now issued rules. Surprise, surprise! Now, uh, uh, related medical conditions include abortion. So, what does that mean? Every employer, no matter their size, now has to provide paid time off from their job and reasonable accommodations. So, what does that mean uh, to women who are going to get an abortion? So now you have conscientious Catholics running companies, even nonprofits like mine, like the Catholic Church. Uh, if a woman gets pregnant and wants to have an abortion, you must pay for them, time off, and reasonable accommodation. So let's say you're in Arkansas, where abortion is largely outlawed. 
Um, we understand this law that could require employers to provide flights and hotels to go to a neighboring state or another state where abortion is now still allowed. Um, that seems to me would be consistent with the idea of a reasonable accommodation. And so lastly, where we are now, um, by law, in order to um, uh, um, actually put these new rules into place, uh, the agency must submit uh, the proposed rules for public comment. So we are in a 60-day period where Americans are able to publicly comment on this proposed regulation, this interpretation of Congress's law, uh, and based on that, they'll issue final regulations. And it's very important that people comment on this because the comments actually could help. Um, it could force the, the, the agency to define some of this further, uh, which is what we want. That's that's what we're demanding. But also, we're going to get into litigation here. And well, I was going to say that this is, this is going to go to court. It has to because there's no way. I mean, you talk about violating someone's religious freedom and, and forcing them to pay for these. I mean, this is this is just so. I, pardon me for being sarcastic. And by the way, we're talking with Brian Birch, president of Catholic Vote, and cynical. Maybe this is a reporter in me. This was the end game all along. Do you think? I think it was. Certainly, the end game has always been to equate abortion with health care. And I mean, or with health care. Yeah. Cor- mm-hmm. Correct. That's mm-hmm. always been the end game, and they do this in every context, which is why we thought it was grossly naive of allies of ours, including the Bishop Conference, to pretend that somehow this wasn't going to happen. Now, the challenge is uh, how do we as a pro-life community and as, a, as you know, Catholics who want to build a culture of life um, demand protections for pregnancy for, for, for women that are uh, in the workplace that, that deserve this with, by, and also exclude some of the the ways in which they're trying to equate and build this whole. It's its no different. Uh, a mother who wants to have a baby, mother who doesn't want to have a baby, this is the new free-for-all that we live under. So uh, in terms of the comments, because some people would say, oh, what difference does it make? They're, they're going to do what they want to do at the end of the day anyway. Uh, again, explain why it's so important for us to use this opportunity to speak out, Brian. Yeah, and it's true. Uh, they sometimes just do whatever they want. But this interesting thing here is the public, when they comment, they actually... The, the number of comments ultimately are made public. So it can show, you know, 10,000, 50,000 for, you know, 3,000 against. And the agency is required to read and record all of the comments that come in. Um, so that's number one. And I think to the extent they see an overwhelming response, and this has happened previously, by the way, um, they may be inclined to revise the proposed rules and give us at least something, something more. And they also may recognize that when this goes to litigation and the lawyers that go into court are going to say, look, the public overwhelmingly asked for this and you refuse to accommodate them. And part of the, uh, you know, I'm not an attorney here, but I understand a bit about this area of the law. Part of the question is whether or not this burden on religious freedom overwhelms the, the government's case for, you know, this compelling government interest to impose this on employers. And so... Um, it is going to be important that the public um, show up and demonstrate publicly that we want these protections. So how do we do that? What's the simplest way, the quickest way, Brian? Well, you can do it on the government's website. That's a little complicated. Or you can go to our website, and we do have a simple thing there where you can submit your comment directly to the government. We don't get any of your information. It goes um, a little piece of software that allows you to uh, contact and register 
a, a comment under the, the program that the government provides. So if you go to CatholicVote.org, uh, look up uh, around the pregnant women, uh, pregnant workers uh, fairness act. I was always interested. They didn't couldn't even call it a pregnant woman or pregnant mother. It had to be a worker because, of course, we never know now if it's a man or a woman. Apparently, mm-hmm. it's pregnant. Yeah. Are you optimistic that that this, if it ends up in court, could go in our favor? Because I was just talking with Father Mitch Pacwa earlier about some some big victories that we received recently. There were the pro-life workers uh, that were arrested, and the court said that they were treated differently than the Black Lives Matter people who were causing some damage. There was a victory for a sidewalk counselor. There was a victory with, uh, at least a partial victory, with Mifeprestone and, and the abortion pill. So do you think once this goes to court, are you optimistic this will uh, be ruled? I know you can't predict it, but what do you think? I, I mean, how do you feel about that? I think on, I think we're not going to likely change anything on, you know, related medical conditions, including abortion. I think where we could have some success is on whether conscientious Catholic employers can be compelled to do this. You know, one of the areas of the law where we've been most successful in the courts over the last even decade, even you know before we took control of the Supreme Court, uh, has been in the area of religious freedom. And they, they, even some of the liberals currently on the Supreme Court, for example, have ruled in many cases um, for religious freedom. And so, yes, and don't you know forget we've put a number of judges in, hundreds of judges over the last you know four or five years. Uh, and so, yeah, it's going to come down to probably the nature of the case and the specific angle the court takes. I suspect it could be narrow. But, you know, under the current rule, if you're a Catholic employer, uh, you are forced to, to provide this to any employee who is not explicitly Catholic um, and, um, you know, uh, working because of their Catholic faith. So even in a parish, for example, this is crazy, even in a parish, if a, if a that parish employs a non-Catholic, and I'm guessing that doesn't happen very often, but that they, they could apply to them. It certainly will apply, by the way, to the Bishop's Conference, who has hundreds of non-Catholic employees who work under their migration and refugee services programs and such. Um, you know, they are going to be um, in an interesting bind here, because this is the Church being forced to participate in facilitating a woman to go get an abortion, and it's just terrible. What happens if they don't follow the regulation? Great question. The EEOC can find them as much as they want, as far as I understand it. I mean, this is how it's no different than any kind of employment discrimination law. Uh, this is a federal regulation, and there are fines associated with it, and they can continue to fine you until you um, surrender. Wow. Talking with Brian Birch, president of Catholic Vote, regarding the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission issuing a regulation that forces any business that has over 15 employees to accommodate abortions. And again, there is a period right now where they're taking comment. If you go to catholicvote.org, there's a very easy way to make sure your comments get to the proper people, and it's very simple as opposed to going to the website of the government, which sometimes can be uh, lots of red tape and very complicated online. When is it ever going to be enough with abortion? Hmm. Well, not to the end of time, of course, till, uh, till we have sin no more. Uh, yeah, but this, this, this particular administration just seems so obsessed with it. This and the transgender well, ideology. Because, yeah, they're certainly obsessed because they were dealt a big setback with Dobbs. And they now are scrambling to do everything they can to make that decision meaningless. From turning, you know, changing state laws to changing federal regs to essentially trying to negate the consequence of Dobbs, which was to allow individual states to begin protecting innocent life. And where those states are doing that, uh, they 
federal government and this administration is doing everything possible to allow women in those states to get out from under that, from male, primarily, by the way, through male mail order abortion drugs, which you I know covered in the segment before right. me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making that there's no they're pushing for no no uh, need to see a doctor, no need to get a prescription. You can just go online, sign up, get uh, order your abortion through the mail, which of course is illegal. Uh, we've never allowed those kinds of kinds of drugs to be sent via mail ever. But you're right; they are on their heels. Um, but they're also recognizing the politics of this. And to the extent they make this an issue, this is a big issue for their base. And so far in a lot of these places, um, it's helping. It's helping them create energy and momentum, and they want, uh, they're going to need that in some Going of the Going into elections. elections, yeah. Last question. I know we're not attorneys, but the, if, if a suit is filed, can an injunction or a stay be issued to preventing this at least to go into effect until this is you know, adjudicated? I mean, I mean, is that possible? I would guess, again, as a non-attorney, that uh, when a suit is filed, likely on behalf of a plaintiff, a conscientious a medical, I mean, a conscientious uh, employer who does not want to uh, be compelled to facilitate this activity, which um, he or she disagrees with, I believe they would ask immediately that the regulation be enjoined from enforcement uh, while the litigation um, goes forward. So, yes, I, because the harm, this is, would be the argument, the harm is so substantial um, that you can't simply allow the law to go into effect and allow this you know, egregious violation of this core constitutional freedom we have to be violated uh, while we litigate it. And so I would hope that a reasonable judge would say, uh, yes, we need to hold off, stop the train here before we uh, decide what we're ultimately going to do. Right. And also, I think the importance of the great point you make about the importance of comments, if we have an overwhelming amount of comments, and once this gets to court, to say that they ignored what the majority of the public uh, want in this. Brian, thanks so much. CatholicVote.org. Brian Birch, the president, out there speaking up, making a difference every single day, which we're all called to do, by the way, by virtue of our baptism. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Catholic Connection. And just remember, if you're a new listener or not, If you've been on board with us for a while, you may not know that we are co-produced, actually, by Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. And you can find us both online, all kinds of great resources, at EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. Now, I give you those websites quite often because I want to remind you, if you heard something on the show today, yesterday, last week, you can go to those websites and you can go to the archive sections or you can look them up and we have records of them for you. And if you heard, let's say, maybe about a book or a document, you can certainly go to EWTN in the religious catalog to order an item or you can look up any type of encyclical or papal document or information about any of our shows there as well. So these are great resources in addition to great Catholic radio every day. We'll see you next time on Catholic Connection. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.